And let's all turn to Psalm 62. Psalm 62, as we're taking time during the the weeks leading up to Christmas to look at some of the psalms that specifically use the phrase, the Lord is, as we are reminded of the anticipation that God's people felt as they waited for the Messiah, their Savior, they waited for the Lord to vindicate them. What were they waiting for? Who was this Lord that they were waiting for that was revealed in Jesus? And as we await his return and experience the blessings of his first coming and the salvation he brings, we do well to look at the Psalms and see who is the Lord and what can we do to build our lives upon who he is. In Psalm 62, we see this phrase, the Lord is refuge. So here now from Psalm 62, the word of the Lord. To the choir master, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of David. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him, like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. This is the word of the Lord. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. There we go. Or how about, uh, you know, when this old world starts getting you down, there's just one place to go up on the up on the roof, there we go, or roof if you're from my part of Pennsylvania. Uh, making your way in the world today takes everything it's got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. We sing these songs about getting away and finding a place that feels safe. They are songs about refuge. Where we go when we want peace, safety, security, when this old world starts getting you down. We relate to these songs because even if we've never been to the places they tell us about, we can relate to the feeling and the sense, the desire of being in a safe place. We can all relate to that, but have we experienced the reality that it points to? Have we experienced true refuge? 
Maybe for moments in our life, we have felt a sense of it. Maybe in our memories, as we think back to places where we felt safe, or, or in our hopes, as we think towards the future of, of the, the world that we intend to fashion for ourselves, and, and, and when we get to that point in life where we think we're going to feel that way. We have a picture, a sense, an idea of what it would mean to be at rest, to be free of worry and fear. And the psalmist, David, speaks of just that. But in doing so, he does not point us to temporary pictures of refuge, but rather to the refuge that we really need to be safe from the real danger that's, that we sense in our hearts. For those who live on this side of Christmas morning, we're able to see what David could only hope for, that in Christ Jesus, God provides the refuge that his people truly need a refuge that lasts when every other source of comfort, security, peace, safety, when every other refuge fails us. So as we go through this psalm again, looking at each of the verses, we'll see how it describes how we all need refuge. And yet other refuges, other sources of refuge will fail us. And only in Christ does God provide the refuge that we need. So first, we want to see how this psalm describes that we all need refuge. And we again begin by looking at who wrote this. It even says that this is a psalm of David. King David. David of David and Goliath fame. King of Israel 3,000 years ago. And that is important because as a king, he was wealthy. He had an army around him. He had a fortress that he lived in. He had power. He had influence. He had family. He had all the things that we think would make a person feel secure and safe and at peace. And yet this person says, this mighty, wealthy, powerful man says in verse 1, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Even though David is a king, he knew that none of his power and wealth would give him peace. I don't know what it is that you look for and are waiting for to give you that sense of peace and salvation and security. Whether you're waiting for the right home, the perfect home, the right job, the right family, the right number in your bank account, or something else that you're looking forward to that, that you believe when you have that, then, Finally, then you will be at peace. You will feel safe. But listen to the words of a man who had it all. In verse 2, he said, God alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Easy to say, David, when you're living in a palace, being waited on by servants, having no troubles, right? The wealthy don't have to worry about peace and security. Well, no. Listen to another writer of songs who was more than wealthy enough to have everything he wanted in life. Biggie Smalls said, Seems like the more money we come across, the more trouble we see. Now, I've always thought that was a very profound line coming from a gangster rapper who's like, like his peers arguing that, hey, we got all this money, we've got everything we could possibly want. And then he, he steps back and reflects and he says, it seems like the more money we come across, the more troubles we see. It's not answering the need of my heart. It's not giving me the security and the peace and the comfort that, that I thought it would. David describes some of his problems in this way, verses 3 and 4. 
How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Can you relate to that feeling at all? Being attacked so you feel like a leaning wall or a tottering fence, like it's just going to take one more storm to blow you over. Wanting to trust the people around you, but at the same time sensing that they are insincere, hostile, low-key, kind of out to get you. David knows what it means to need refuge, and I think you do too. Now, what it is that attacks us and makes us feel like a leaning wall or a tottering fence, it's going to be different from person to person. My struggles are not your struggles, not the same as the person next to you, and not the same as David. But what we all share in common is that we all need refuge. And we sense that. We know that. A refuge is that place where we find peace and security, where we stand when we're strong, when, to be strong when we feel attacked. And when we don't have refuge, we feel vulnerable and exposed, weak and weary. And what Scripture reveals to us is that we only see part of the story. We, we look at a number in a bank account, or we look at the, the criticism we're getting uh, in an email from someone that we thought we could trust, or we look at, at troubles going on in our lives, and we think that, that's the attack, that's the battle, that's where the war is happening. And Scripture pulls back the curtain a little bit and says, no, that, that's not really the real threat that you need to be worried about. In Ephesians 6, we're told that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood but against the rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. David knew that he was being attacked by people who wanted him to fall from his position, but, but Scripture pulls back the curtain and says, what's behind that? And what's behind everything that makes you feel insecure and unsafe and vulnerable is a spiritual battle that's going on. Our real battle, our real struggle, and our real threat is not the physical things of this world, but rather the reality of the spiritual world of evil and brokenness that is at work to make our lives difficult, to make relationships a struggle, to make addictions devastating, to make society unjust and hostile and unsafe, and that makes us just as guilty because sin is not just out there. But as we confessed in our worship this morning, I too am guilty. The most important problem that we face is not our physical problems. That's the battlefield where it plays out, but the threat is sin and its consequences. So that if even every physical problem in your life was resolved and solved, if you won the lottery and had all the people you needed in your life to make you feel safe and secure and loved, and everything was great, if every physical problem was solved, there's still a deeper, more significant problem that places you in need of refuge. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 19, 16. What does it profit a person? to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul. Now, if you compare gaining the whole world with my current status, that seems like a market improvement. That's a, that's a profit. 
by anybody's calculation. And Jesus said that is still not a profit. You gain nothing if you lose your soul. Because the most significant battle that's being fought and what, where you really need to recognize your need of refuge is sin and its consequences at work in your own life. Your soul, you, the eternal reality that is you, is worth more than the whole world. So whatever your condition, whatever your circumstances, you live in need of refuge, of protection, of shelter, and you probably spend your time trying to find it. When we spend our time trying to make ourselves feel loved by others or demanding to be respected by others, by altering who we are and how we look to try to match some image of who we're supposed to be, when we're trying to make ourselves feel less fearful about the future or less ashamed of our past, when we're doing that, we're seeking refuge. We're seeking refuge from the threat that we feel in our soul. And we have to recognize it for what it is. Recognize that all of our fears and all of our temptations and all of our addictions and all of the idols in our life are efforts to secure refuge for the fear that we can't put a name to. And don't forget that even if you succeed in finding something in your life that numbs the pain or distracts you from it or promises peace and security for a time, that, that perfect home, that target number in your retirement account, that political party in power that you know is finally going to get things right, none of that is capable of providing the refuge you need for the true threat that unsettles your soul. So we all need refuge. And David goes on to show how we find false refuge. The problem with other sources of refuge that we look to is that they don't last. They may work for a time, but they can't endure the endless attacks on our soul. And so in verse 5 and 6, David says, for God alone, O my soul, God alone, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. My hope is from God, he says. I shall not be shaken. Think of the other things that you look to, that you're inclined to turn towards to offer you that feeling of peace. Do they offer lasting hope? Or do they simply offer distraction? Can you find, when you find refuge in a relationship or in entertainment or in a drink, can you honestly afterwards say, I will not be shaken? No. And why not? Because they can't provide the lasting protection you need. So look at what David says in verse 9 about some of these false sources of refuge. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. Those of low estate, those without wealth, those without reputation, those uh, without power, those without any sort of following, they are but a breath. They don't have weight. They don't have power. They don't last. They cannot save you. In Psalm 144, the psalmist prays, O Lord, what is man that you regard him or the son of man that you even think of him? Man is but, <sighs> he's just a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. 
a breath, a shadow. It weighs nothing. But what about the successful, the wealthy, the powerful in the world? A delusion, David says. All that power, all that wealth, it dies with them. And if you were looking to another person, any person, somebody you know personally, or some celebrity, political figure, influential person, wealthy person, if you look to them and their human might and their human power and human influence to be your refuge, David says it's a breath, but more than that, it's a delusion. You are being fooled. You're being deceived. Verse 9, he says, in the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. The, the images of a, a scale, you know, you put something on one side and then you put weights on the other to see how much they weigh. He says, okay, if you put the high and the low alike, put them on one side of the scale, it's going to go up because it's like having air on the scale. It is of no consequence. It will do nothing for you. That's what it matters. If you're rich, powerful, successful, you may be comforted for a season, but it will not last. You will be shaken. So David says, poor or rich, high or low class, it makes no difference. It doesn't matter, he says, it doesn't matter where you are up the social ladder because the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall and it's not going to get you to what you're looking for. So don't look to other people to be your salvation. Don't expect that a mighty person, a powerful politician, a rich individual, that they will provide some help because they cannot be your refuge. Psalm 146 urges us to not put our trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there's no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Not only do we find then that people are a false refuge that fails us, but money, wealth, possessions, David goes on to say in verse 10, they're just as false. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your hearts on them. You can get rich by cheating people. You can get rich by robbing people. I hope I'm not speaking to anybody specifically in attendance here today. Or you can get rich by being lucky or by working hard and gaining success. But no matter how you come by wealth, if riches increase, set not your heart on them. They can't provide for you the refuge, the security, the lasting peace that your soul needs. The danger is that when we believe that something like wealth or money or a home or a relationship or anything else, when we believe that that's going to provide for us the refuge that we need, that's going to be the answer for us. And we see this in many other ways. I believe a new identity is going to change my life. I believe a new circle of friends is going to change my life. I believe a new political system in power is going to change my life and provide for me the refuge, the peace for my unsettled soul. When we believe that, the problem is not just that we're wrong, but that we order our lives in pursuit of it. We do what we can to secure it and to make sure it comes to pass. Jesus describes us in Luke 12 in a parable. He says to the crowds, Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. 
And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Is Jesus saying that money is evil? Is Jesus saying it's a bad thing to be wealthy? No. But he is saying that if you've placed your hope in that, if your goal is to build bigger barns and store up more things, and only then can you rest and be at peace, then you are deceived. It's a delusion. Set not your heart on riches when they increase. Don't trust people. They can't help you. Trust people for what they are. God has given us people in our lives to bless us, to encourage us, to help us, to lead us. But don't place your ultimate hope in anyone, be it a spouse, a parent, a child, a teacher, a leader, a friend, a pastor, anyone. No one is able to bear the burden of that hope. Only God. So do not trust people for what only God can provide. And do not trust riches. Enjoy them if you have them. But do not set your heart on them and pursue them as you should only pursue God. None of those things provide the refuge that you need. A refuge that cannot be shaken. A refuge that gives hope. So David, having shown how we all need refuge and how we find refuge that fails us now shows us what true refuge looks like in verses 11 and 12. It's one of my favorite verses in the Scripture. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. Here is why God is the refuge we need. God has power and God has steadfast love. If he lacked either one of those two qualities, he would not be the refuge that we needed. Let's think about that. Imagine if he did not have the power to help us. He's, he loves us. He cares about us. He just doesn't have the power. This is... Basically, the view of God put forward by the famous book a number of years ago, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. It was uh, written by a, a Jewish theologian and, and a rabbi, actually, and, and his take on it was, God cares about you, God loves you, God is on your side, but he is not able to stop bad things from happening to you. He hasn't the power to help you. Now that, he, he's like a cheerleader. Or a good friend who sits by your side, helps to the extent that he can, but he really can't protect you. That's not a God that I would pray to. That's not a God I would worship. That's not a God of whom I could say, as David does in verse 7, on God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. A God without power can't be your refuge. So he has power, but power by itself is not enough. What's the, the famous quote? Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. In the human world, that's absolutely true, I would say. But having power alone 
is not enough to make God a good refuge. Because what good is all His power if He doesn't care about us? I mean, there's a lot of critters that live in my yard and frightens me to think that some probably live in my house too. (laughs) I have the power, do I not, to guard, protect, and keep, and probably feed them. I have the power to protect and preserve every roach that hides in my walls and every ant that crawls across my floor and every raccoon that scratches on my door at night. I have the power to do that. Do I care about them enough to do it? No. I don't exercise my power on their behalf. But David says that God not only has power, but he has steadfast love. What a combination that is. That word steadfast means unchanging, not giving up, fully committed, regardless of what happens. God has committed himself to his people, to his children. In Hebrews 13, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is steadfast love. And that love is wonderful. Without that love, and without that love matched to power, love would just be a sentiment. What good is a God who loves you but can't act on that love? But we have a God with whom there is power and steadfast love. So look again at the words of verse 11 and 12. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. In God, there is power united with steadfast love, which is why the scripture can promise us in Romans 8, the familiar verse, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good because, number one, God has power and is therefore able to work circumstances for our good. And on the other hand, God loves his people and that power is directed in accordance with his steadfast love. So how do we know God is loving and powerful? How has God spoken this in order for us to hear The answer to that is something that David himself could not know and did not know, but only hoped and looked forward to, but which we know with confidence. Because if our greatest threat, if the reason that we need to seek refuge is the spiritual threat we face of sin and its consequences, then God's power and his love need to be directed towards protecting us and saving us from that very real threat. And that's exactly what he does Through Jesus Christ. God shows his power and his unchanging steadfast love when Jesus died for us and rose from the dead. First look at Romans 5. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In giving up his life in exchange for us, Jesus shows us the extreme love of God. How far does God's love go? Far enough to give up everything for people who were his enemies. Far enough to continue loving us and pouring out his grace on us when we reject him, when we deny him, when we forsake him, when we are faithless. That's his love, which he showed on the cross. But what about his power? After all, the cross doesn't look like a very powerful moment. It looks like a moment of weakness. In Ephesians 1, 
Paul says the he prays that the church, that Christians would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, the great might, the great power of God. What is that power like? He worked that power in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and far above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. A dead Savior does not help us. But when Christ rises from the dead, He shows the power of God that defeats your true enemy. The sin that was arrayed against you, the fruit of that sin, which is death, and the power behind that sin, which is the spiritual forces of evil that are aligned against God and all of His children. A risen Jesus puts on display the immeasurable power of and the inconceivable love of God. My sisters and brothers, this is your refuge. This, the steadfast love and unconquerable power of God through Jesus Christ. Once God has spoken through Jesus Christ, two things it shows us, that with God is power and love. And this is our refuge. And so the words of David instruct us in how to take refuge in Him. Verse 8, trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. How do we take refuge in such a Savior? We trust in Him at all times, pouring out our heart before Him. If we were lost in the woods, like in, was it Mirkwood in Hobbit, a forest where you can't see five feet in front of you, where the path of the trees shifts and, and becomes a labyrinth and a maze, where the very ground is poison and the air weighs heavy on you. If we were lost in such a forest and I told you, I know the path, I know the way out, but one wrong step will be the end of you. You have to step where I step. Put your arm on my shoulder and follow close behind me. Don't go another way. Don't follow another path. Don't step in another spot. Trust me and I will lead you out. That's the kind of trust that we need in order to take refuge in God. We have to look at His Word and say, where would I step? Where do I go? Where do I turn? How do I live? What do I say? What do I do? That's how we take refuge in Him. And as you do that, you pour out your heart to Him. Letting Him know how you are attacked. Letting Him know where the danger is in your life. Letting Him know how you need protection. Not turning to something else to numb the pain or that offers hope and protection. But making God alone your refuge. Because in Jesus Christ, He has power and He has steadfast love. Power and love that have saved you, that are saving you, and that will in the end fully save you. Not because you are strong enough to hold on. Not because you won't lose your way as you follow Him. Jesus describes the Heavenly Father as, as holding tightly those that are His. and says, no one is strong enough to remove them from My hands. That's the song that we're to sing here. Taking refuge in Jesus is not about you holding on tight enough. Taking refuge in Jesus 
means I could never keep my faith through life's stormy blast. I will lose my way. But because my Savior loves me so, He will hold me fast. Let us rejoice that we have such a refuge, such a Savior that keeps and saves and holds us fast. Pray with me, please. Our mighty fortress, our Savior, our gracious God and King who holds us fast. Keep us safe in your refuge. Teach us to trust in you, to pour out our heart to you, to turn away from every other thing that promises refuge and recognize that in you we will not be shaken. Our rock, our fortress, our defense. You will hold us fast and keep us safe. We thank you for that. The promise made in Christ and fulfilled in Him for your children. We praise you in His name. Amen.